Welcome everybody to the Brian Piergrossi podcast. That's me, Brian Piergrossi. My guest is Isabel. Isabel, friend, Isabel, great to see you. Great to have you with us. Good to see you too, Brian. Thanks for having yeah. me on. This is a place where um, there's a lot of censorship happening right now, and a lot of people aren't having the right to speak freely. So really happy that we have a place here where people can just speak freely, unedited, uncensored, just raw, authentic conversation, and whatever comes through in the moment, and that's what people get to hear. So that's what you're going to hear today, this morning, this afternoon, this evening, wherever you are in the world, wherever you listen to this. Jen is in Bali uh, right now. We're just talking, she's been there for two months now. And uh, we were just talking, we're both travelers and that, uh, you know, to be somewhere for two months straight for either of us is kind of unusual and, and uh, a new experience. So. It is, but I can't imagine a better place to be right yeah. now. It sort of accidentally happened that I ended up here and this is the land of Agamatirta. They have an entire beautiful religion and philosophy all based mm. around water. Their relationship with water is mm. so inspiring, so profound. So yeah. I've been diving in and learning as much as I can. Yeah, and that's the place I've spent um, some time to Buddha area in Bali. And yeah, it's a special place for many of us uh, to be. So yeah, that's awesome. You, you got a beautiful spot. And um, you've been, um, well, we, we first met in uh, Santa Fe, in Mexico some years ago and then we've been friends ever since then and also uh, saw each other in Virginia at the, the yoga what is that place called at uh, the Satchinananda ashram Yogaville yeah Yogaville yeah yeah and then I think we've just barely missed each other a couple of times and multiple, yep. <laughs> multiple times yeah multiple times yeah 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 I think we first met um, was it 2012? Is that eight years ago now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, eight years. I was ago. just thinking, like people, some people are like, just not to, not to get just a quick little diversion, but it all it's all interrelated. But you know, there's a big thing about 2012, you know, and then people were like, well, nothing happened. It was all it was all a flop, and then it's like, well, I think it was like setting the setting the <laughs> you know, setting the seeds for what's happening now, is what I've been hearing. So. Anyway, yeah. yes, it's interesting that we met at that time. It just sets the tone, right? Yeah. And then we have years to, it's interesting. The Kogi tribe, who have a really profound relationship with water, they say that we have four years. We have until 2024 to complete the, the portal of choice point that was entered into in 2012. And wow. by 2024 is kind of the moment when reality will decisively shift. Yeah. So you, you, you've been, you've, you're like a, like a, like a broad thinker is how I feel you. You've, you've delved into a lot of things at a deep level and kind of see the interrelationships between things, um, things that I know you're interested in too, or just like, just psychology and socio sociology and spirituality and different spiritual paths and traditions. And we talked about yoga and, um, and then you, you hit on, um, also like anthropology, cultural stuff, you know, history, but you hit on water and water is like, you just feel like that's kind of like the linchpin for you of like that connects everything else, right? Like that's became, that became your passion. 
it's at the heart of everything. I mean, water is life. It's this adage that everyone has heard, especially ever since the you know Dakota Access Pipeline movement. But when you start looking into it, it really is the key. It's it's the foundation of all of our other sciences, all other studies, the the research that's coming out in medicine and agriculture and physics and energy. Water is at the cutting edge of all of this, and it's. It's kind of counterintuitive because on the one hand, we grow up believing that water is as common as dust and as simple as could be. And that everyone, you know, we know what water is. Why would we, why would we want to research that mm-hmm. and look into it? Well, it turns out there are over 64 anomalies about water that science can't understand. And if it weren't for a single one of those, life would not be possible on any level. Mm-hmm. Life is a mystery and water is life. So water is the ultimate mystery you could study her for your entire life and still barely scratch the surface of her profound wisdom love it so tell tell us how you how you started to dive let's dive into it so you you were you know kind of your path of inquiry and exploration and how do you how you got into water how that became the 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 linchpin for you well I, i think it started about 10 years ago in 2009 or 2010 I was living in Brooklyn at the time and I was a nutritionist and you know wanted to make the whole world healthy right yeah Um, and I I realized that there's a lot of truth in the statistic that people are actually more likely to change religion than they are to change their diets so I was very focused on what is the highest quality food we can be nourishing ourselves with and gradually I, I began to realize that the water we make ourselves of is actually far more important than the food that we eat. Because, you know, we've all heard that we're two-thirds water by volume. That's true. But molecularly, we're 99.9% water molecules. So the water that we make ourselves of has a far greater impact on our psychology and our physiology, even than the food we eat. And that's as someone, as a nutritionist, you know, food is, is key to the way that we, we function and we perceive in the world and the way that we're able to show up. So... I started looking into that a bit and, and discovering what's the highest quality water we can be making ourselves from. And that's when I discovered the work of Victor Schauberger, who is one of the most incredible minds, incredible philosophers of all time. If even one of his, uh, if even one of his insights was applied on a grand scale, it would fundamentally shift absolutely everything on the planet. And so looking into his work and beginning to drink spring water, um, freshly harvested, wild-crafted spring water directly from nature, um, it really changed my, my body and my mind and my emotions on, uh, on really profound levels. So that was sort of my introduction into the mystery of water. It was really Schauberger's work, and that in itself is such a rabbit hole of research. And then I just, I continued from there, you know, Dr. Gerald Pollack, Dr. May Wan Ho, um, Albert St. Georgi, um, Mushik John. Um, of course, everyone's heard of Misari Moto. And there are so many, Dr. Uh, Carly Mude. There's, there's so much research coming out right now. And the irony is that no one's heard about it because everyone just assumes that water is simple. So this mm-hmm. kind of put me on a, ma- on a mission to bring this, this information forward because it could fundamentally shift again every aspect of our lives if we understand the source of life itself of course it's going to shift every aspect of life mm-hmm. itself and just that realization i mean many people have probably heard it but they really let that sink in that like 
you know, we are essentially water, right? So what we're putting into our body is like what, what we're becoming in the, in the quality. So let's go into um, what makes water quality, what makes it like, what's the best kind of water to, to, you know, the practical stuff of like, what's the best kind of water to drink and uh, put inside you. And um, yeah, let's, let's go to that. Well, when we, when we want to look at the, the best way to do anything, I mm -hmm. think that we have to look first at nature. How does nature fundamentally do things? And in the natural world, water is provided by the earth. Water rises to the surface of a spring from an aquifer in a vortex of lunar gravity at its perfect moment of ripeness. And along the way, it encounters all of the electromagnetic frequencies, all of the ormus elements, all of the microorganisms, microbiota and microflora, all of these um, components that come together to make water a well-rounded and complete being. So we wanna drink whole water, just like we wanna eat whole foods. We don't wanna eat highly processed foods. We don't wanna drink highly processed water either. And that's really what you're looking at when you're talking about distilled water and reverse osmosis and, and uh, alkaline ionized and all these things are ways of processing water away from its natural state. Um, and so when we drink highly structured spring water, those molecules are in an arrangement. They're in a hexagonal matrix that actually gives it crystalline properties. So a crystal is anything whose molecular constituents are in an organized and repeating pattern that allows it to sense, store, transmit, and transduce information and frequencies from its environment, just like SiO2, silicon dioxide, or quartz is able to do that. Same with H2O, water, when it's in this hexagonal matrix. It's like the difference between coal and a diamond, right? If I'm holding structured carbon in one hand and unstructured carbon in my other hand, I'm holding coal and diamond. It's carbon either way, but it appears that it is a very different substance just because of the arrangement of those atoms. And water is more subtle and more mysterious than that. She likes to keep her secrets to herself. So she appears as a clear liquid either way, but whether water is structured or unstructured, it will behave very differently in our bodies. So we wanna make sure that we're drinking highly structured water. And I think one of the best ways to do that is to get the water directly from nature. Because otherwise, you know, water, water becomes your blood within five minutes of drinking it. So we really wanna be conscientious, even from um, the standpoint of spiritual sovereignty about from where are we sourcing our bloodstream? Are you paying the government for your blood by getting your water from a municipal tap supply? Are you paying a corporation for your blood by getting your water from, uh, from a bottled water source? Or are you participating in your local watershed, your local ecosystem? Are you a part of the land on which you live? Are you sourcing your blood directly from Mother Earth? You know, we're one of the first generations in history, if not the first generation, that has been making ourselves of water that's not from the place where we live. So much of the water that we consume is diverted and redirected or imported from Fiji, from Evian, France, from the Alps, from wherever. But how much more grounded and present might you feel if the water you're made of is from the place where you live? So I think it's a really essential 
communion to harvest spring water, not only from a health perspective, because it is the healthiest water that we can drink, but also from a spiritual sovereignty perspective and from, from a sense of just having that fundamental relationship with life itself. Mm. That's actually a switch that my partner and I made about six months ago is we take a, you know, whenever we need more water, drive out to the mountain here and there's a spring out here and, and fill it up. And yeah, it's been everything you're saying. I totally, I totally resonate with. And it's been, it's been okay. a really positive difference. What, uh, what differences have you guys noticed since you started doing that? I think what you're saying, like there's, there's a, there's a, there's a connection that you feel to the mountain that you live, you know, under or next to. And, um, I think, I think that there's, there's differences that we're noticing as far as, uh, it's, it's like, like, that's what I love about what you share. It's like, it's physical, but it's also spiritual. It's also mental. It's also emotional. You know, it's, I think it's on all these levels. You can, you can feel something that's, that's there, but how do people, um, is there a way, so if someone says, okay, I want to do that, but I don't know where to go. Is there, is there a way that they could like find out or is it, do you have any like advice yeah, on that? There's a website called findaspring.com. Great. It was created by Daniel Vitalis. It's a user-supported website. So if you know of a spring that's not on there yet, please add it. But you're going to find a ton of springs. You'll actually be shocked by how many there are and how accessible they are. And oftentimes that site will even have information on there about the TDS or the total dissolved solids and various testing that's been done on those sites. Um, and if you live somewhere that somehow doesn't have a spring uh, listed on that site, a really great way to find one is to talk to the elders in your community, mm -hmm. you know, speak to your grandparents and your friend's grandparents, because it wasn't that long ago that it was common practice to drink water from springs. In fact, mm -hmm. up until very recently, it was a whole path of medicine concurrent with allopathy and homeopathy and all this. It was called malneopathy. And it was a practice of, of partaking of the spring waters as a medicinal practice. And it, it was such a part of widespread mainstream culture that even uh, President, was it President Eisenhower, I think, for his polio? would take, I think it was, no, it wasn't Eisenhower. It was, um, who was the president with polio? I'm not sure, but the president with polio. <laughs> the president with polio. So, um, but it was a really common, it was a really common practice. So the elders in your community will likely definitely know where the springs are. Good to contact them. Awesome. And what about, uh, okay, you get the water and then. Roosevelt. Then, this is Roosevelt. Roosevelt. <laughs> Thank you, Roosevelt. President Roosevelt. The container that you drink it out of. So, um, I mean, when I'm traveling, it's like plastic is plastic water bottles are like everywhere all around. And so to talk about that a little bit, like what's the best thing to drink out of and well, why? One of, the, one of the concerns with plastic is that water, we've all heard water is the universal solvent, right? Well, what does that actually mean? It means water dissolves things into it. So we know that plastic isn't biodegradable, meaning life and soil and microbes don't break it down, but what does break it down? Well, it's photodegradable. So whenever it's exposed to light or to heat, it begins the slow process of degradation. So anytime you have water in plastic, water naturally as a solvent will begin to break it down slowly. Anytime it's then exposed to light or to heat, again, it's gonna break down the water into the plastic. And that's important because Plastic is a xenoestrogen, which means that it mimics estrogen 
within the body, massively disrupting the endocrine system. And the endocrine system is sensitive in parts per billion, and it maps directly. You have seven endocrine glands that map directly in relative location and relative function to the seven chakras. So our endocrine system is basically what patterns uh, hormonally our perceptions and our interactions with the world. Having a healthy endocrine system is a direct parallel to having a healthy and well-balanced chakra system. So we want to make sure that we're not allowing phytoestrogens or, or hormone mimickers of any kind to, to come into our body temples. And this is especially important with water. Now, a lot of people say, okay, well, let's just switch to BPA-free plastic. Um, but BPA-free plastic can actually have more EAs or estrogenic agents than plastic with BPA. So it's really time to just sidestep that paradigm entirely. It's not enough to just recycle the plastic as well-meaning as that is, because those just end up as microplastics in the ocean anyways. Really what it comes down to is, is consumer demand. It's actually cheaper for beverage companies like Coca-Cola and Pepsi and all that. It's cheaper for them to produce glass bottles than it is for them to produce plastic bottles. That's why when you go to third world countries, you'll see Coke in a glass bottle instead of in a plastic bottle. The only reason why they do that in the first world is because of consumer demand, because consumers who would prefer plastic. So it really is up to each one of us to vote with our dollars to shift that paradigm. And that will affect the world's watersheds as a whole, eventually. And when it comes to what we wanna use instead, what's a better option? Well, there are three aspects of irrigation, of body irrigation, uh, which is the process of drinking water that I think is important, to, is important to know. So I sort of distinguish hydration from irrigation. Hydration is the process by which your cells actually absorb the water. Irrigation is the process by which you drink the water. And irrigation can be broken into three steps. So there's the way you harvest the water, the way you store the water, and the way you imbibe the water. And each of these three steps has a massive effect on the water's quality and the water's consciousness. So when you harvest and store the water, the container is obviously really important. Glass is great. Dark glass, ideally colored glass if you want to pattern it with some particular frequency of the light spectrum. I really love Myron glass. So it's produced in, I think, Germany or Austria, but basically it only lets through one very specific bandwidth of light frequency. That's a very healing frequency. In fact, if you were to keep leftover food in there, it would, it would keep the food good for so long. Myron glass is really incredible. Actually, if you keep a razor blade in Myron glass, that razor blade is never going to go dull. If you keep water in Myron glass, it's probably going to keep the structure for a really long time. Now, when you're harvesting from a spring, obviously it's not really feasible to get giant six gallon carboys of Myron glass. So regular glass is fine, but you can get neoprene sleeves to keep the water cool. So the two most, well, the three most important elements of water structure are movement and temperature and, um, and light or, or vibrational inputs, radiant energy. So when you, when you harvest water from the spring, you wanna make sure to keep it cool as much as you possibly can. So if you can keep it in your basement, for example, until you need to drink it, rather than keeping it up in a window in your kitchen, um, the more it heats up, the more those molecules expand apart. 
Um, also keeping it, keeping it dark. And whenever you are ready to drink it, you wanna make sure to bring some movement back into it again, because being stagnant also causes it to gradually destruction. It feels like it's kind of like, you're kind of mimicking how it would be if you took it right from the ground, right? Cool, dark, some movement, right? Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. Totally. We want to mimic nature and everything. In fact, uh, Victor Schauberger, his, his whole philosophy was comprehend and copy nature. Mm -hmm. And as we are 99% water molecules, you know, what we do to our water, we do to ourselves. The water yeah. outside of us is no different from the water inside of us. And just like we don't want to sit still for too long, if we sit still mm -hmm. for too long, we start to get achy yeah. and uncomfortable. Yeah. And then if we're forced to continue sitting still, for a long yeah. time, we start to feel imprisoned and eventually we're gonna get sick and eventually we're gonna die. You know, we need to move, water needs to move. We need to breathe, water needs to breathe. Water needs to exchange gases like oxygen and carbonic acid. You can't keep mm -hmm. water bottled up in these little, these little plastic gravestones on a shelf and then expect mm -hmm. it to be vibrant and vital and full of life. Mm. Yeah, and like kind of a, a very clear example of of how this works is, you know, there's been, if I look at times in my life where I've had a plastic bottle and had it in my car and it's a hot day with the sun and you take a sip of that and you can, everything you're talking about, you can feel it really clearly. Like this is not good to be drinking, you know? So that's like, it's, if you just, I think if people just pay attention, they'll notice like the stuff that you're talking about. Sometimes it's more subtle, but that's a really clear example where it's like, this is like, yeah, this is toxic stuff. So um, what about the sort of like the political situation or the situation of, of people having access to what you're talking about around the world? Where, where are we at with that right now? This is a really important topic. And, and I would say it may even be the most important question we could be asking ourselves as a planet right now, because we are at the crux of this question that will determine for the rest of all future generations whether water is a right or a commodity. Is water a commodity that can be bought and sold like Coca-Cola or is it a, a, a commons in the public trust like air? And throughout all of human history, it has been a commons in the public trust. It's only for the past 40 years or so that water privatization has been massively shifting the landscape of the source of life, privatizing it for capitalistic interests. Now, when you treat water as an inanimate object, it's naturally going to create conditions of scarcity when scarcity itself is not inherent in the pattern of nature. Scarcity is a direct product of the way that humans interact with this pure abundance that is that is life itself so basically right now one out of every three human beings on the planet does not have access to clean water one out of every three by the year 2050 that will be one in every two human beings that doesn't have access to clean water right now according to the world health organization 80 percent of disease worldwide is caused by lack of access to clean drinking water this is a direct result of water privatization. So we need to be heavily involved in this issue. And it's easy to take a stance of distance from this issue because 
as privileged first world Westerners, we don't see the direct imp impacts and implications of water privatization. You see those in the third world directly, um, but they'll reach us last, but they are starting to reach us already. So Flint, Michigan, it's just a preview of what's to come. Their Reuters has already found 3,000 other areas in the United States with lead levels at least as high or higher than Flint, Michigan at the peak of their contamination crisis. This is a massive issue and it's not getting media attention anymore because the media isn't going to cover something that inspires activism. It's the same with the North Dakota Access Pipeline movement that got a lot of media attention. Well, right now there are 97 other groups in the United States facing pipeline projects just like that one. But we don't hear about it, A, because it's not in the media, and B, because it disproportionately affects indigenous people and impoverished people. And that's true all over the world. Manifest destiny is still alive and well, where imperialism is coming in and, and basically robbing resources. You know, this is the new colonialism. It doesn't come on ships. It's, it's trade agreements and resource privatization and economic blackmail. And that's the ways in which the, the water cartel of the world has taken control over water resources all over the world, privatized them, and is, is not only polluting the waters on a massive scale, but selling polluted waters back to people at enormous prices that no one can afford. Now, water is at the core of every single aspect of the economy. You cannot produce any good without water. Water is the fundamental basis of all prosperity and all abundance on the planet. So we think of economics as being in terms of oil or gold or dollars. You can't have oil or gold or dollars without the water that it takes to grow and produce goods and resources and the water that it takes to sustain the lives of of the workers and, and everyone involved in these processes as well. So blue gold is inherently infinitely more valuable than black gold. And in a, in a world in which that commodity is scarce, whoever owns, whoever controls water, controls the lives of all of those who require water in order to exist. This is why water privatization is, is the most dangerous, the most dangerous thing on the planet right now because he who controls water controls life controls who lives or dies in fact in chinese the, the symbol for water is the same as the symbol for control and so this is happening very quietly this is happening at the imf the the world bank all of these international uh, financial and trade institutions where these economic agreements are being made and they seem like they're just, you know, dry words on a piece of paper, but they intimately impact each and every one of us. We don't realize how much it impacts us because we live disconnected from our own watersheds. We live disconnected from the water in our own bodies and in our own communities. We think of water as being something outside of ourselves, something that comes from a tap. And I think that's why the most important thing that we can do to shift things, even on this broader 
economic, ecological level of drought and desertification and privatization. I think the most fundamental thing we can each do as individuals is shift our individual relationship with water. Because when you start to have a personal relationship with water, you will not be able to stand for the injustice of the water terrorism happening on a massive scale at the hands of imperial countries all over the world. Yeah, I'm really glad that you're bringing that forward. It's such a valuable thing to bring forward. People bring awareness to and have access to, yeah, what's what would be like innate natural human right for, for all people, quality of water. Um, how much water should people ideally be drinking a day? You know, I get this question all the time and it, it's challenging to answer that because it all depends on the quality of water you're drinking. Probably more than they are. Uh, definitely more than they are. <laughs> definitely. The most conservative estimates say that 75% of the population is dehydrated. Uh -huh. But I know a few doctors who say that number is more like 99 to 100%. Uh -huh. So we all suffer from chronic dehydration on some level. We all need mm -hmm. to be drinking more. But if you're not drinking a good quality water, it doesn't make much difference because you're probably just going to pee it all out anyways. Or mm -hmm. if your lifestyle practices... Um, and your diet and other factors, have, if your body isn't optimized to actually be able to absorb that hydration, mm -hmm. again, it doesn't do much good for you to go and guzzle a gallon of water. Mm -hmm. A general rule of thumb that people use is to take your weight in pounds and divide it in half and drink that many ounces per day. Okay, cool. And how about access to, let's go kind of beyond drinking water to being around water or near water or... You know, like the, the benefit, you know, one of the things that's happening right now is that for reasons that don't make sense to me, but they're closing beaches all over the world. You know, some people don't have access to being around the ocean and around the beach. So what, what's the power? I mean, I definitely feel something when I'm at the beach, but could you break it down in words? Like what exactly is happening there that we, we, we just love, we feel so good being by the ocean and by the water. Yeah, well, one aspect of that is the negative ions in the air there. So anytime you're around moving water at the spring or especially by the ocean, just because the level of salinity in the water, um, you're breathing in these negative ions, which are uh, naturally antioxidants. So they go mm -hmm. after free radicals in your body and they just, they literally give you more energy. They give you more electrons. Basically, if, um, they're, they're, electron donators to your body so you mm -hmm. get you get this energized feeling there and there's there's been so many studies that have been done on the psychological effects of being in or near bodies of water there's a book called blue mind that i highly recommend that oh, yeah. goes into that maybe you talking yeah. about that yeah it's a good one it's a really good one um but one good thing especially during this time of quarantine is that some studies have shown that you're your subconscious mind doesn't necessarily entirely know the difference between listening to the sound of the babbling brook on a recording nice. or actually being yeah. at the babbling brook. So even yeah. just listening to the sound of water can be mm -hmm. enormously healing. There's a lot of really interesting studies on, on the effect of the sound of water and a lot of stories about it in literature and spiritual texts throughout history too. Like even in Siddhartha, they say that um, 
that the Buddha wasn't just sitting under a Bodhi tree when he reached enlightenment, but that Bodhi tree was actually next to a stream. And so he reached enlightenment while listening to the sound of water. Mm. And it really does. It puts you in more in more relaxed alpha brainwave states. Yeah, I just find oceans, they're all a little bit different, the, the, the you know, the quality of the, of the energy, but oceans, rivers, lakes, all really powerful. And you also made me think of like, people really like to listen to the sound of rain, like on the, you know, like a tin roof or that sound of that pitter patter of the rain coming down. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's such a powerful part of, of, of our health and our wellness on every level. Um, so yeah, do you said you mentioned Dr. Emoto is like kind of the most famous person that's walked with water and he he became into he came into our consciousness because he was talking about how the way we think or our beliefs affect the quality of the water. So that's like a whole other level, right? And I imagine it goes kind of both it goes both ways, right? But he would have these um crystals of water and put words on the bottle and then show how, you know, put like hate and then it would be the crystals of like all deformed and distorted and ugly. And then you put love and they look all beautiful. And um, this is what I want, you know, how anything you want to share about those kind of, that kind of search of the kind of the interconnection of everything in the mind body connection between ourselves and between what we're um, putting in our body, what we're observing and, you know, how does water, how does water, um, uh, how does water reflect that for us? Yeah, absolutely. So it's like you, you nailed it on the head. It's absolutely a reciprocal relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, water affects our psychology, the more that we're near it and the more hydrated we are. Um, but we also strongly affect water as well. So water is the most sensitive and subtle substance on earth. So every single cluster of water molecules has 440,000 panels on it. And each one of those panels is responsible for sensing, storing, and transmitting information about its environment, making water the most programmable supercomputer on the planet. I don't love using the term supercomputer because it makes it seem like an inanimate object, but just for the sake of, of, um, of analogy it's, here. It's like it's intelligent. It's 100%. It's, ab it's pure consciousness. It is the physical body of life itself. If the etheric principle of life wanted to incarnate in physical form, it does so through the body of water. And our consciousness is only able to exist in these vessels of water that we are in because your entire body is made of highly structured crystalline water. The water that's in your body is, is not the same as, you know, the bulk water out here. It's H3O2. It's EXW. It's not H2O. And so the structure of water makes all the difference. So really... Water structure, you can sort of think of it as like if, if the H2O molecules are like the letters of the alphabet, then the structure, the way that those letters come together, the way that the molecules come together, make them actually capable of transmitting an infinite amount of information. If you just have you know, an alphabet soup, it doesn't mean anything. Or you can put all those letters together in a certain way and you can get all of the sonnets of Shakespeare. And it's like, it's also like 
like a community. Like if you were to look at one H2O molecule individually, you wouldn't learn much about water. Just like if you were to look at one human individually, you wouldn't learn much about humanity. It's the way that those individuals come together, the patterns or the cultures that they create that determine everything about the substance of what it means to be, you know, a society, what it means to be humanity, or what it means to be a glass of water. So again, because water is so subtly sensitive to every kind of stimulus, auditory stimuli, visual stimuli, vibratory stimuli, um, Russian researchers have shown, and oh, the Russians are so pioneering when it comes to water research. They're just like light years ahead of the States and, and the rest of the world. Um, but Russian researchers have shown that what affects water more than anything else is human emotion. And that's mm. because human emotion vibrates through this vessel of water that we carry. Now, there's this pro principle of water called quantum coherence or quantum entanglement that says every single water molecule is connected to every other water molecule on the planet. So up to 100,000 kilometers apart is what they've tested so far. One water molecule can affect another water molecule. So you are intimately connected with every body of water that you interact with in this reciprocal relationship of mutual imprinting, mutual vibratory imprinting. And that would, re that would relate to, I remember this book that was pretty impactful for me, The Secret Life of Plants, mm -hmm. where um, they talk about how emotions affect plants and because plants have water running through them, right? Mm -hmm. So that would, that would make sense on that. Everything is water running through it. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like that's the, that's the, that's the, what's the word that you use? It's like, because what is everything running through it? That's the intelligence that's connecting everything to everything else in the, in the world of, in the world of form. Yeah. That's beautiful. Everything else in the world of form. And because each drop of water contains every other drop of water, water is holographic in nature. You know, the Kogi tribe in Colombia, they say that that water contains the entire metaphysical blueprint of reality, all worlds of reality, from the, the structures of daily life to our dreams at night, which are only possible because of the cerebral spinal fluid that conducts the melatonin from the pineal gland and the pituitary gland that bathe in cerebral spinal fluid in the central ventricle. Your cerebral spinal fluid is only one molecule different from seawater. You know, the Maori say that the ocean as a whole is a planetary scale crystal. These, these indigenous cultures had such incredible insights about the nature of water. We have to learn from them because it's, it's really powerful what they say. So when the Kogi say that, that water contains the blueprint of all reality, well, uh, biophysicist um, Dr. Mei Wan Ho did some really amazing studies into the quantum nature of water. There's another... Uh, research center, ORNL, the Organization for the Research Natu National Lab. Oh, I forget what it's called. Anyways, ORNL. They've been doing some really interesting studies in the um, in the field of quantum water science as well, showing that water is capable of incredible feats in the quantum tunneling state. Like, for example, one water can actually pass through solid walls or water is also capable of bilocating and even sextolocating or the same water molecule existing in multiple locations at the same time. 
Water is, as I said, the ultimate mystery. Life is a mystery. Water is life. So water is the ultimate mystery. And the more we peer into the vastness of, of intelligence, this matrix that she is, the more we realize that we are infinitely capable of these vast and mysterious properties as well. Your body is 99.92% water molecules. So if water molecules are capable of bilocating or sextolocating, I think it gives us interesting insights into what the ancient yogis were capable of. Some of these these cities and powers that were spoken of in, in scriptures and in legend from, from India and elsewhere in the world where yogis were actually able to to be in two locations or multiple locations at the same time. We're able to pass through solid walls. I think if we begin to own the incredible power inherent in what it means to be a body of water, living on a body of water, and, and honor water as an intelligent living being in her own right, it opens up infinite possibilities of potential. That's awesome. Love that. What about, have you looked at the pineal gland at all and how it relates to water and purifying area? Yeah, the pineal gland is, is really key and really interesting part of the water conversation because when water carries fluoride, for example. Or right, which chlorine, a lot of water does in the, in the modern world, uh, right? Mm-hmm it's going to calcify the pineal gland with a substance harder than calcium. So fluoride, you know, we've all been sold on this idea that fluoride is good for the teeth because it accumulates in the osteous tissue and the bones like the teeth. Well, that's true on one hand. It's also true that too much fluoride in the teeth can cause fluorosis, causing the teeth to become brittle and to chip. What's more important is that even before the osteous tissue, fluoride accumulates in the soft tissues and glands. So the number one place that it accumulates is the pineal gland. And you can actually see um, in, in MRI scans of people who've been drinking fluoridated water for a long time, they've got these hard little knots, these hard little beads in their, in their pineal gland. So it's really important to decalcify. Um, one tool I really like for this is zeolite. Zeolite is a naturally occurring mineral. It's even found in some spring waters in the world. Um, but you can get zeolite supplementation that helps with that decalcification. But it's crazy because, I mean, there's even, quote unquote, baby water now, water that's being marketed specifically for the mothers of infants to feed their children that is higher in fluoride, mm. in, higher in fluoride. Mm. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And what... If you, if you decalcify the pineal gland, the pineal gland in the terms of the chakras in the Eastern in the Indian system would be the third eye, right? So can you talk a little about like what's the, what's, the, what's the power, what's the potential power of that area of the body, of that gland? Yeah, well, I'm sure you could probably speak to this just you as well or better it. than I could actually. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I'm sure the listeners of this podcast, uh, knowing your audience, are already probably pretty familiar with this. But yeah, it's cross-culturally recognized as the, the seat of intuition and the seat of even personal will. But the, the level of personal will, so the third chakra is like the level of our personal will uh, are doing energy in the physical world mm -hmm. and the third eye is the seat of our spiritual will or the 
role of our higher selves coming through this vessel um, to be a positive impact in the world. And it, this is why fluoride was actually used in prison camps in Russia and, and Germany was to pacify the population and to create a population that is much easier to control. Because if you've calcified the seat of a person's spiritual willpower, it kind of cuts them off from that direct connection mm. to intuition and to source and to that feeling of efficacy that we can make a difference in the world. Um, but I think it's really interesting as well because the pineal gland is also the master gland of the endocrine system and releases, the, the pineal and the pituitary gland both release hormones um, into the, the entire rest of the body. So again, they bathe in cerebral spinal fluid. One sits at the very front of the central ventricle and one sits uh, just behind it. So they're always bathing in the, in the cerebral spinal fluid of the central ventricle, which according to the Taoists was called um, the crystal cave uh, because this water is highly, highly crystalline. And uh, the Hindus called it the cave of Brahman. And so when you meditate and you go into that space and you actually bring your awareness into the cerebral spinal fluid, it's a really profound practice. They talk about it in a lot of um, ancient Tibetan Buddhist texts, um, like the, the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying describes a practice where you... It's, it's meant to merge your consciousness with the Buddha consciousness. And one of the signs that you've done it correctly is that a bead of cerebral spinal fluid will actually... Um, pass through your scalp right at the fontanelle. It's really, some of the research into, into the link between consciousness and cerebral spinal fluid is amazing. There's this doctor, um, Dr. Mauro Zapatera. He got his MD and his PhD from Harvard and he's devoted his life to studying CSF and its role in consciousness. I mean, even if you just look at the, the physiology of it mapped against the Sorry, we're getting off it. I know you asked about the pineal gland. Do wherever but... you want to go. I love it. <laughs> um, so even if you look at the physiology of, of the cerebral spinal fluid next to the maps that the ancient yogis gave us as to um, the channels of the kundalini energy or the channels of consciousness, you see that both have a really similar structure. So the cerebral spinal fluid doesn't just course up and down your spine. It actually spirals up and down your spine. In fact, in German, the word for spinal column is spiral column. And the word for vertebrae is vortices. So there are these two channels along the spine. And then there's also a central channel in the spine. And cerebral spinal fluid flows up all three in a spiraling way. And that's exactly what the yogis talked about. They said you have the ida and the pigala, and then you have the shashumna in the center of them. And when Kundalini awakens, it awakens um, through these, th these three channels and it spirals up the spine and it comes into contact with each of your chakras along the way. So your chakras map over two different um, areas of your physiology. We talked about how they map over your endocrine system. And that's because your emotions are chemical. Your emotions are magnetic. Well, our our thoughts are electrical. Um, and those electrical signals are largely carried through the nerve centers or the nerve plexus. So in addition to the seven endocrine centers, we also have seven main nerve plexus that also correspond in location to the chakras. And so whenever your cerebral spinal fluid, and this happens twice a day, so your cerebral spinal fluid makes a journey twice a day from the crown of your head 
to, uh, to the base of your spine and back again. And along the way, because water, especially structured water, that the ability of water to imprint on information is directly proportional to the strength of the hydrogen bonds in that crystalline matrix. And cerebral spinal fluid is, is among the top three most highly structured sources of water in your body. So this crystalline water makes this journey from the base of your spine all the way up to this central ventricle just beneath your fontanelle and along the way it's patterned by the vibrational frequencies at each one of these seven nerve plexes so you're literally informing this internal ocean of consciousness that's again is only one molecule different from seawater you're informing this ocean of consciousness with the uh the hormonal information of the emotions you've been experiencing all day and the electrical information of the thoughts and the nerve signals that you've been carrying all day. And then that information ends up culminating at the pineal and the pituitary, which pattern your, your, your perceptions of the world and really pattern your reality on some level. The way that we experience reality at all is a direct result of these, of these glands, these chakras and their functions. So CSF is really core in, in the discussion of the mind-body connection, uh, mind-body-spirit, and, and I think core to any discussion of applied spirituality in general. Mm -hmm. And what I love about what you're sharing is like, you know, sometimes these, these spiritual concepts, they seem so esoteric or how do I, how do I, I don't know how to make it happen or it's too, it's too far away for me. <clears throat> and obviously there's a lot involved in it, but just the practicality of like, if you drink good quality water from a natural spring that's from the earth and connected, it will, that itself is a practice that will open up these areas for you that, you know, there can be more involved, but like, that's something that you don't hear you know, I generally don't hear it. I don't, I don't hear that part pointed at when it comes to like awakening or, you know, self-realization and these elements. So I love that you're bringing that in and connecting all, weaving all that together. It's really, uh, that's, that's, I think you have a real gift in that, you know, being able to just weave all those elements together. And um, it's like, it's like scientific poetry. That's what it, that's what it feels like. <laughs> it's beautiful. Well, thanks so much for inviting me on to, to come and geek out with you and go down rabbit holes and, and go off on tangents and talk about all this fun stuff. Yeah, um, if anyone wants to check out some, some more of this cerebral spinal fluid information, well, I mean, information all, on all this stuff is on my site, but I have, a, um, I have a recorded, a guided meditation that people can do this meditation to get more in touch with their, with their CSF if you want to go into more of the practicality of some of those practices. Where can people find out? Where can they find that? Where can they find more information about you and what you're doing? Yeah, so my website is waterislife.love. And I've got videos and blogs on there. You can get a free hydration hackers checklist of just some of the basic, basic, basic overviews of hydration. I just released an e-course that I'm really excited about. It's only seven days, just 10 to 20 minutes a day for seven days to really, really take control of your hydration because it's about so much more than just drinking eight glasses a day. Even if you're drinking eight glasses of spring water, you might not be absorbing it as well as you could or optimizing that hydration. So um, yeah, it's, it costs only as much as one bottle of water a day for seven days and empowers your hydration for the rest of your life. So that course is up there now. I'll be doing a webinar soon. 
We've got more e-courses coming down the pike. We've got retreats. Well, we had retreats. <laughs> and so but I want to ask, I want to ask you about that. <laughs> right. But what happens at a retreat, like the retreats that you've done, like what, what, what happens there? Give us a little sense of about how that, if I would come to that, what I would experience. So every morning we do fascia euthening yoga classes. So fascia is one of the main hydraulic networks of your body. It's 75% mm. water, 25% protein. And it, mm. it's the way that your body delivers water to every single cell. And so every aspect of the day from the time that we wake up until the time we go to bed is really optimizing hydration um, down to alchemical practices where we vortex and magnetize and deuterium deplete and hydrogen enrich and all of these other, other ways that we really optimize our water. Um, we've got 10 hours worth of masterclass teaching material that goes into every single aspect of water from um, guardianship, ecology, desertification, privatization, and, and the political ramifications of those to really getting down to the effects of hydration on a genetic level, how to really keep your genes young. We talk a lot about the role of water in, in cosmology and spirituality and the ancient teachings about water, the mystical practices around water, water ceremony, water ritual, water medicine songs. Um, it really is, is life-changing and profound. Um, water is life so, so allying with water I think is the most life-changing thing that we can do and again it, it influences every aspect of our lives from the mystical to the mundane so we cover all of that in retreat beautiful oh and is we there... always do it at a sacred water source <laughs> so last time yeah. we did it at um and this is yeah it's the most powerful part so last time for example we did it at Lake Atitlan in Guatemala, which is the navel of Mother Earth. And this time we were meant to do in Copangan, Thailand, which of course is a super sacred water source. I think next time we'll probably do it here in Bali at some of the water temples. So um, yeah, really powerful communion with, with the earth as well. Beautiful. Is there anything you want to share you haven't shared yet that you'd like to, that you'd like to get in? Just thank you, yeah. <laughs> for having me on and and for chatting and um yeah it's really an honor to get to share this and if anyone has any questions whatsoever please feel free to reach out you can uh, reach out through my website or through instagram it's just my name at jen isabel friend and um yeah always happy to talk about water answer your questions mm -hmm. i have this vision of like we're we're too crystalline water intelligent flows just like flowing through each other and then it flows out to everybody that's listening and emanates out it's rippling out yeah rippling out yeah yeah thanks so much for being here isabel thank everybody for listening and tuning in and uh we'll see you in the next now see you guys